This is Palm Sunday. This is Holy Week, a special time of the year. We're going to talk this morning about He did it all for you. Uh, something we, don't, we occasionally do is we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So we will be doing that at the end of my teaching time. So folks at home, you need to prepare for that and uh, we'll let you all serve yourself when we get to that part of the service. Anyway, being Holy Week, we have a Friday this week has a special name. What's Friday called? Good Friday. Let me tell you about Good Friday. All right, 2,000 years ago, a guy by the name of Jesus walked in Jerusalem on this Sunday. Everybody declared him and, and uh, honored him. Uh, but by Thursday, they arrested him. Now, this is a guy, you and I may have something, wait, we broke the law and need to be arrested, but this guy never did anything, right? He never even sinned, much less broke the law. He was arrested, and over the night, he was tried multiple times, and eventually received a death sentence. And so, not only were they going to kill him, they were going to torture him. And so, part of that torture was uh, being whipped, or whipped, and we say 39 times, because the limit was 40, and they did 39, so they wouldn't pass the limit. But it wasn't just 39 because it was a cat of nine tails. That means there was nine pieces of leather in the whip. So every hit was how many? Literally nine hits. So instead of 39, he had, what's, what's, who does the math? It's like 350, let's see. <laughs> nine times 40 is uh, 360. So about 350 actual lashes that hit his body. And we think, well, it's just on the back. But no, it was on the back. It would whip around to the front. So it tore the flesh off the front of his body, off the back of his body, off his legs. And it had lead or, or metal to, to bruise the body and then something sharp to tear the flesh. Many people died just from, at this part. And then they spit on him and they hit him and they put a crown. Do you ever get a thorn? in your flesh. Can you imagine having a crown of thorns on your head? Then they required him to carry his cross up a hill, and then they put nails through his hands and his feet, and he hung there for about nine hours, eventually dying. And the worst part, according to Scripture, is not only the pain, physical pain, but the emotional pain that, that God, his Father, uh, abandoned him. And we call that day Good Friday. Well, we'll explain why, or understand why we call it Good Friday. And we're going to start in Hebrews. <clears throat> because of the joy wait, awaiting him, Jesus, he endured the cross. Okay, so he has a motivation, a reason. Disregarding its shame, because it was a shameful thing. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Goes on, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people like you and I. Then you won't become weary and give up. Aren't you glad he was willing to do that? And one reason is, or we might ask why, is because we reap great benefits for the fact that he was willing to die. Now, maybe you're in somebody's will, and in that will you were to inherit something, but nobody ever tells you. Did you benefit from that being in that will? That person dying? Or maybe you have some kind of disease and there's a cure for that disease, but you never find out about it and you die. Did you benefit from that information or that knowledge? Well, the same thing is true of what we're going to talk about today. 
In fact, some of you have life insurance policies. For example, if I have a life insurance policy on my wife, and I call them up this week and say, hey, I'd like to collect on my $500,000 policy, whatever I have. And they say, okay, send us the death certificate. I said, no, 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 she's still alive. And they'll say, what? <laughs> no, we only pay when? When she has died. It's a death benefit. Well, you and I, all of us receive numerous great death benefits from the fact that Jesus died. I'm going to talk about three. Somebody's estimated there's over 60. I don't know who counts these things. But we're going to talk about three benefits to you and I from Jesus' death, assuming you're Jesus' follower. If you're not, uh, welcome to join us. So here they are, three we're going to talk about today. Total forgiveness, deep healing, and real freedom. Now, what does total forgiveness mean? Well, (laughs) just like it says, Total, completely, 100%. So, no matter how many things you and I have done, sin, things we've done wrong, how many times we've done it, no matter how bad it is, in our opinion, when we come to Jesus, He forgives us of it all. In fact, if there was no heaven, if, you know, if I just lived on this earth and died and ceased to exist, tremendous benefit, just from the fact that I feel forgiven, that uh, I don't walk around with guilt and shame and, and regret because of what God's done for me. We're going to be reading a lot of from things that uh, Paul wrote. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 2. You are dead because of your sins <clears throat> um, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So sin causes death. So spiritually, we are dead in God's sight, or we're separated from God. Death means separation. Then God made you alive with Christ, Jesus' followers, for he, why? Why are you and I alive in Jesus Christ? For he forgave how many of sins? All our sins. So what should your response be to that? Uh, Amazement, uh, uh, thankfulness, Text goes on, he, for he, he has destroyed what was against us. Notice this term, a certificate of indebtedness. <laughs> All right. Our sin caused a, a debt to, uh, for us with God. Expressed in degrees opposed to us. He has taken away. All right, this indebtedness, certificate of indebtedness, uh, mortgage, if you will. He's taken it away, how? By nailing it to the cross. And then in Ephesians, he said this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. So God's desire is for everyone to join his family through adoption and because of Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Brings God great pleasure when you and I come to him and accept his offer of adoption. So, text goes on. So, consequently, we praise God for His glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom, we'll talk about freedom in a few minutes, with the blood of His Son and forgave our sin. Can you imagine? 
you go to trial for something and you're given a life sentence. You're going to spend the rest of your life and, with no chance of parole. And then somebody comes along and says, hey, I want to take your place. So I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison so you can go free. Can you imagine that? Well, that's what Jesus has done for all of us, each and every one of us. Notice the word grace. What is grace? There's lots of definitions. But one is we don't get what we deserve. We don't deserve a relationship with God through Jesus. We don't deserve our sins to be forgiven. We don't deserve a place in heaven when we die. We don't deserve any of that. So that's all of grace. In fact, I read something this week where we call grace as gift upon gift upon gift. And bottom line is, everything is a result of God's grace. So according to Scripture... Um, the first time you and I sin, let's say we're five years old, six, whatever age you think that is, then we should die right there. Because the penalty for sin is death. So the fact that you and I are still breathing is just one of the many results of God's grace. Um, <clears throat> back in Romans again. He, Jesus, was handed over to die because of whose sins? Our sins. He didn't sin. He didn't need to die. So he died for our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. And again, we'll talk more about that, of course, next week. So here's something to help you remember, maybe, hopefully. One cross, three nails, equals four given. One cross, three nails, you and I are totally forgiven. So total forgiveness is a death benefit from Jesus' death. Another benefit is what we're going to call deep healing. Deep healing. What does that mean? Well, <laughs> wherever you hurt, wherever you need healing. And we're not just talking about physical healing. We're talking about emotional healing, mental healing, relational healing. Uh, there's all kinds of healing. In fact, probably our deepest wounds, it was Jesus' deepest wound, is, um, I would think it's emotional, right? He felt separated from God. And I've had broken bones, and after six, eight weeks, they all healed up, and I'm pretty much <laughs> uh, okay from those different things. But you and I carry around sometimes emotional pain that's gone back decades, sometimes maybe 50 years. So Jesus comes along and says, I want to give you healing. Physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, wrote a prophecy about Jesus. He said, he was pierced for our rebellion or sin, and crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be what? Healed. And that, we're not limiting that just to spiritual healing. Then Peter comes along, and his Bible is what we call the Old Testament. So he is quoting Isaiah chapter 53. This is out of 1 Peter chapter 2. He, Jesus, did not retaliate when he was insulted. Can you imagine? The power of God at your disposal, and you're being tortured. How do you not retaliate? How do you not resist? How do you not fight back? But he didn't. He didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. 
text goes on. He personally, Jesus personally carried your sins and my sin in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. And notice what he says. By his wounds, you, I, am healed. So it's more than forgiveness. There's kind of a big religious term. It's called redemptive suffering. It's not only religious, but redemptive suffering. That means when somebody suffers for the redemption or, or the purchase or the purpose of helping someone else. Um, <clears throat> whether you're... Uh, well, parents, you'll understand this. Parents. When your kid gets sick... What is one of the thoughts you have? I wish it was me, right? If, if you could, you would take that sickness, that pain, that suffering on yourself. Now, we can't do that. But Jesus said, I love you enough that I actually did that. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago that the whole world is broken. The whole world is broken. God created a perfect world, sinless world, and sin entered. Everything's broken. So we have broken bodies, we have broken relationships, we have broken spirits, we have broken emotions, we have broken government, we have some of these things broken. And Jesus came to restore, that's what healing means, right? To restore, restore that which was broken. In fact, especially as a preacher type, I like to dwell on the parts of the Gospels, life of Jesus, that talk about his teaching. But that was only part of what he came here to do, wasn't it? Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus traveled through the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing good news about the kingdom. Yeah, that's what hopefully I do. And what else? But that wasn't it. He healed every kind of disease and illness. The text goes on. Of course, the crowd, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. He felt for them, and that's one reason he healed them. And notice how they're described. (laughs) He could be describing us. They were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's interesting, especially going back 100 years or so, when when Christian missionaries would go into uh, third world countries, they often would set up the first hospital and the first school. Because the gospel is not just about Spirit. It's about physical healing. It's about emotional healing. It's about mental healing, if you will, and mental education. Now, is everybody healed? No. In fact, I don't know why Jesus healed some people and didn't heal other people. We pray for people. Some of them are healed, some aren't. The ultimate healing, of course, is when we die and go to be with Jesus. So, let me ask you where do you need healing? If I ask you to raise your hand, everybody say, someplace I need healing. I've got a broken relationship. I'm suffering this. Uh, I need, I need uh, my spirit to be restored, my health to be restored, my mind to be restored, whatever it might be. So I got to thinking about, what are healthy emotions? So I think one of the healthiest emotions is this. One of the healthiest emotions, I believe, is Gratitude. I think about it this way. So, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty person? Are you thankful for what you have or not happy about what you don't have? And the greatest 
emotions in life is to be grateful. And recipients of God's grace, we should all be graceful. Now, what about detrimental emotion? Um, I think one of the most detrimental emotions is this. I call it bitterness. It could be resentment. It could be unforgiveness, whatever it might be. Because it really only hurts you. It doesn't hurt the other person. And the other person could be even dead, and you're still going on with this bitterness. And part of the reason is this, and this is kind of crazy. But the reason we don't forgive is because we say they don't deserve it. Well, we just talked about total forgiveness. Do you and I deserve it? No. You and I don't deserve it. So why do we expect other people to, quote, unquote, deserve it? So death benefit number two was deep healing. We could talk about all these things a lot longer, but we won't. Third thing is real freedom, real freedom. What is real freedom? Most people would say it's to do whatever I want whenever I want, to do what I feel like. Well, I'm going to give you a, a defini- other definition and kind of prove to you that's not really a real good definition. The power to break free from controlling forces. Do you have controlling forces? Absolutely. Feelings. Free to do what I feel. Well, then you're what? You're controlled by your feelings. Um, Moods. Uh, What are some other things? Media. I don't watch a lot of media because I don't want to be controlled. I don't want my mind controlled. I just want to know what's going on. That's about it. Fear. So many people are controlled by fear. Fear of this, fear of that. Uh, Approval of others is another controlling force. All these things. And Jesus promised, I can be free from that. I can be free of fear. I can be be free uh, of all these uh, forces. Now, Scripture makes it clear that you and I, if you're Jesus follower, we have two competing forces in our life. First is self, and everybody has that. And self-preservation or self-will, what's best for me? Everybody's got that, right? But when we become a Jesus follower, God's Spirit enters us, and it's no longer just about self. It's about God and His Spirit, and loving God and loving other people. So then we have this, this conflict. And every, everybody that's aware of it loves Romans chapter 7, right? Because Romans chapter 7, Paul admits that even he struggles with these competing forces. And it's interesting to me, he doesn't even just say it once, he says it twice. I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Ever been there? Instead, I do, not only I don't do that, I do what I hate. How powerful is willpower? You ever broken a diet or exercise program or anything else? I call it will weakness, and those of you have been around for a while. But then he goes on. And I know that nothing good lives in me. And in my sinful nature, that selfish part, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. So, what are you and I in need of? We're in need of a power source that allows us to do what is good, 
and do what is right and not to do what is wrong, right? <laughs> uh, back in Romans chapter 6, before he wrote this, Paul wrote this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, those that are Jesus followers, so that sin might lose its, what's the word? Power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. When you're powerless, you're enslaved, right? So we're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from what? The power of sin. So often I don't think we realize that because we struggle like Paul in chapter 7, right? But he preceded that with chapter 6. The text goes on. <clears throat> and since we died with Christ, since, since we entered in that relationship, we were adopted to his family, we know we also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. Again, we'll celebrate uh, Easter next week. He will never die again. Death no longer has any what? Power over him. And it doesn't have to have power over you and I. Uh, I'm amazed. I've said this before. I'm amazed the world's not worse than it is. Because if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have this power to help you do what is right and, and not do what is wrong. There's other th reasons that you, you do what is right and wrong. But we actually can say no. No, that's wrong. I'm not going to do that. I am empowered. So how would you define real freedom? To do what I want? Well, is your wants always the right thing? My wife and I, actually, um, I think she said it this morning. The alarm goes off this morning, and in bed she said, oh, why don't we just stay home today? I don't say it. I didn't say it this morning. But I said, they pay me to be there. I got to be there. But anyway, <laughs> the rest of you come by free will, right? Um, but yeah, we don't always feel like doing the right thing. In fact, my guess would be that the majority of people that go to work tomorrow don't feel like going to work. Wouldn't you agree? So we are, we are always doing things we don't feel like doing. So... I'm going to replace the word freedom with the word maturity. Real freedom is maturity. Maturity is going by your commitments, not your feelings. So, do I always feel like I want to be married? Well, I made a commitment 45 years ago, and so I keep that commitment. Even if I uh, wasn't paid to be here, I made a commitment to God's church, so I'm here as often as I can be. Or When I'm on vacation, I go to... Another church. Worship's an important part to me. Uh, might not feel like it, but I don't go by my feelings. I go by my commitments. And you all have commitments to your families and to your jobs or places you volunteer or whatever it might be. One of my favorite verses is Galatians 2.20. There's a promise here that we can claim. I have been crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, in this body... I live, how? By faith. And I'm going to, two weeks from today, we're going to start a series about faith. This is critical. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how do you get the benefits? Death benefits of Christ by faith. And the scripture talks about 
different ways we can make, take that step. I'm going to read Romans 10, 9. It's one place that explains it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means he's your boss, you're giving your life to his, his control, his rule, his, his decision-making, and you believe in your heart, we're going to talk about not believe, but believe in, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because if you just believe, lots of people believe in God, maybe even believe in Jesus. But the scripture makes it clear, and logic tells you this. Don't you think Satan and his demons believe in God exists? They know he exists. <laughs> even maybe more, more real to them than he is to us. So it's not enough to just believe about. You have to believe in. So, our sin nailed Jesus to the cross, but our sin isn't what held him on the cross. What held Jesus on the cross? Because he could have came down anytime he wanted, right? He's God. His love for you and I held him on the cross. So, let me ask, we'll be finished. Are you a child of God? Have you been adopted? Scripture always uses an, also uses another word, friend. You have a best friend? What would you do for your best friend? What would your best friend do for you? We always give you some next steps. Um, Christianity is about this hour sitting here, right? So I'm not going to put on the screen There's a, a, a group of suggestions, a couple of things to do, some things today, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I believe, and Sunday. So hopefully you'll take, spend some time doing that this week because we call, again, this is Holy Week. So let me pray with you. Those of you that want to observe the Lord's Supper here present, can you uh, serve yourself? And then we'll celebrate together. Father God, thank you. We thank you for uh, the truth of your word. We thank you that we are given total, total forgiveness. And that you want to heal not just our bodies, but our, our spirits and our, not just our spirits, but our emotions. We thank you for grace. It's all a grace. Every breath that we take is grace. We pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower. Today would be the day you step across that line. You could receive the death benefits. Because until you do, you don't receive them. And God loves you enough that he wants to adopt you into your, his family. If you would say yes to him. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. We thank you for that privilege of calling you Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.